Followers of this podcast and the Catholic workers and students of the history of peace activism, knowers of Father Berrigan and the Plowshares Movement, are already aware that this week was the fourth anniversary of the Kings Bay Plowshares actions protesting our military's nuclear stockpile and the assassination of Martin Luther King over three decades ago. Less than a year before he was murdered, King addressed the National Conference of New Politics and argued that the American society was spoiled by three evils, racism, materialism, and militarism. I wish that I could say that this is just a passing phase in the cycle of our nation's life. Certainly times of war, times of reaction throughout the society. But I suspect that we are now experiencing the coming to the surface of a triple-pronged sickness that has been lurking within our body politic from its very beginning. That is the sickness of racism, excessive materialism and militarism. Not only is this our nation's dilemma, it is the plague of Western civilization. I have included a link to the entirety of King's message in the notes to this podcast. I'm Alan Winson, and this is Bar Crow Radio. This week, I sat down with three Catholic workers who participated and went to jail for cutting through the fence of the largest and most lethal submarine base in the world at Kings Bay, Georgia. They spilled their blood from baby bottles and hung banners calling for nuclear disarmament, and they went to federal prison. I met with Plowshares members at the end of a long walk that they had started at Riverside Church, where Martin Luther King had delivered his Three Evils of Society speech in 1967. Sitting on the edge of the peace statue at the Isaiah Wall, across from the UN, I spoke with three members of the Plowshares movement, all recently out of federal prison, and with the United Nations representative with Pax Christi International. First, Martha Hennessy, granddaughter of Dorothy Day, Rebecca McKean and I have spoken to Martha on our podcast several times before and while she was serving a sentence for protesting nuclear arms at the Kings Bay submarine base. An occupation therapist at a Vermont VA medical center for many years, Martha lives on her family's Vermont farm and at Mary House Catholic Worker in New York City. She has been arrested and incarcerated many times for her peace activism. We started by talking about the 72% mud chocolate left for the walkers by Nydia, a member of Grandmothers for Peace. Do you have some of the chocolate? I haven't eaten any of the chocolate yet. Right, but you know, it's not just for you. I know. You had to share it with everybody. <laughs> I'll bust it out. You bust it out and you, you let them know. I'll, it's from, I'll distribute. It's from Nydia. How are you doing? Good, good, f- fine. I just came from... This is the first time we've been together yeah, since... in years. Yep. Not not only because of COVID, but because yep. you were yep. in prison. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Nothing to laugh at. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And here we are in New York City. And I just returned from a two-week trip to um, Ireland where I visited my sister. How is she? She's doing well. The, she's battling cancer. She's you finished with her chemo treatments. And her prognosis is good. So we are very, very grateful that she's gotten through the worst of it. And I was able to visit her. Good, good hospital. Yes, good hospitals, good, good in, healthcare. In, du- in Dublin? No, Cork. She lives in Waterford County and goes into Cork for her treatments. Yeah, we were in Ireland a couple, few, few years ago. Yeah. It's a lovely, amazing country. Didn't get to see enough of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how are you keeping yourself busy? Oh, there's always too much to do. So I'm just doing what I did before I did the plowshares action, you mm-hmm. know, taking care of family uh, in Vermont and doing volunteer work at uh, Mary House 
and life goes on. Um, all of the daily needs are still there um, for the homeless, for family members. I just had a ninth grandchild born in February. Congratulations. <laughs> so life goes on. And I know that every day that we wake up now with this crisis going on with, with Ukraine being proxy victimized by the nuclear powers, that every day is a gift if we're serious about understanding the uh, game of chicken that the nuclear powers are playing at this point in time. You, you bring that up, and I, one of the questions I want to ask people, especially in this moment that, that we're living through, is, um, is whether or not there is a place for nuclear armament. I, I, I know your answer, so I'm, just, <laughs> I'm the devil's advocate here. Is there a place for nuclear armament in the world? Because if Ukraine still had nuclear arms, they gave them up right. about six, seven years ago, the, the argument has been made that if they had kept, and this is an argument made by Ukrainian that we've, we've talked to, yeah. uh, that uh, Russia would never have dared mm -hmm, attack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so is there a place, from a plowshare's point of view, of nuclear arms in the world? Um, for myself, no, obviously. I, I know that North Korea has armed itself because it was flattened in the 1950s by the United States and it doesn't want that to happen again and you know we're very happy with the breakup of the USSR that the nuclear weapons were taken out of Ukraine and so I don't like being being given a, a position being placed in a position of well look what happens to countries that don't have a nuclear arsenal um, we know that this deterrence theory that was supported by the Catholic Church it was didn't make sense, wasn't legitimate. What makes nuclear weapons work for anyone other than to blackmail the planet? Um, so I'm unequivocally opposed to any nuclear weapons and right now we're pouring other conventional weapons into Ukraine and how is that going to help them? How is that going to stop the killing? It's a difficult question. Mm -hmm. I mean clearly, I mean you, you've got your point of view mm -hmm. and you've had it for many years. You've been, mm -hmm. you're a plowshare person mm -hmm. and so how can you, and here, here we're in front of the Isaiah wall in the UN and you know mm -hmm. turn your swords into, into yeah. plowshares but if Ukraine yeah. doesn't protect itself then they, they, they're taken over. And that's not right either. Well, it's, the problems are being caused by U.S. aggression. Mm -hmm. What NATO has done, taken over so many more countries. And NATO was in place as a defensive mechanism. And with the breakup of the USSR, NATO should have been disbanded as well. Mm -hmm. And we don't come to these crises out of um, a vacuum. I mean, there are certain acts that are taken over the decades that lead to this kind of a situation and I'm just appalled at how the United States turns its back on 20 years of um, war in Afghanistan and President Biden, a Catholic president, withholds the seven billion dollars that belongs to Afghanistan and people are starving. So we turn our back on that, we commit those crimes and then we are on, you know, jolly spirit of uh, making the next war. And the media trots it out, and the progressives and liberals, just like the conservatives, swallow the narrative of, yes, this is good. Having another war is good. And so the uh, stocks of Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, all of the other weapons, um, industries are going up and meanwhile there's a threat of famine around the globe Ukraine having been the breadbasket of the world um, it's nothing but trouble nothing but trouble in terms of our crying human needs and the just unfathomable about amount of money that's going into more militarization you, you realize Martha that your perspective is not one that be recognized by most Americans, you know, get that's rid right. of get rid of NATO, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, get get rid of all militarism. Um, yeah. Your perspective, your your hope I for the world know. is not is not something that many people would recognize. I don't know. I think it's a very small minority that's driving us to the brink. I think the vast majority of people understand what kind of a world we want and what we need to do to have a decent world. So I refuse I, I, I to don't, be marginalized that way. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I hope I'm not marginalizing. I just. No, no, no. I know. I understand your where you're coming from. With yeah. That I, I just don't question. think people have the imagination that you have. Yeah. Of the world because. The world that we live in, I mean, in our minds too, right, is right. is is one in which there's NATO, there's USSR, there's I mean, that's the world they live in. You you as a plowshare person, you mm -hmm. seem to come from a different way of seeing. Well, the USSR no longer exists. Yeah. Do we see that? Do we see how things went? for Russia after that breakup? Two, yep. mil two million people starved to death in the early 1990s? And yeah, did, I don't think that United many people know about that. Right. And did the United States facilitate, you know, having the former communist bloc reintegrate into a supposed democracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're fed these words of uh, democracy and freedom, and, and those words are not... They don't have the same meaning as uh, capitalism and globalization. How do you get this message out there? It seems to me the mm -hmm. plowshares, you are insular in a sense that you talk to each other. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. do you talk to the rest of us um, so yeah. that we get what you're saying? We all want peace. Yeah. We all want prosperity. We all want a, our grandchildren. Yes. You just had your ninth. We want sure. them to live in a world where there isn't climate change yeah. and, and all that. Climate collapse. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you're talking to each other yes. and not out to the rest of us? Well, we spoke at the base. We spoke in the federal courtroom. We spoke in the prison. We spent the day today walking the streets, carrying our banners. Um, it's very lonely, especially when you see this latest war trotted out. Of course, we, we feel like fools, we feel like failures, we feel like mm. w what is changing. Mm. Um, but, you know, this is faith-based work for me mm -hmm. and we're not here to reap the harvest, we're here to plant the seeds mm. and this is a long-term game. It's been going on for quite some time. You know, I just came from Ireland and the history of that land is pretty amazing, um, you know, human activity, you know, 5,000 BC, um, all of that pre-Celtic, pre-Christian history is fascinating. And there's always hope. There's always hope. And what, what are our options if we feel like we're insular, if we feel like we're crying in the wind? Um, yes, there's a certain reality to that. But for me, that might be beside point and just being able to say no in the face of insanity is worth it for me <laughs> and you'll keep doing it we keep doing it as long as we can yes you know i have to rejuvenate i have to take a break your feet are, hurt, are hurting now after the long walk that's that you right. took that's right yeah from from uh from uh, riverside uh, church that's right we just drove uh Tell, 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 tell me a little bit about the walk. Okay, so today is the 54th anniversary of the killing, the FBI state killing of Martin Luther King Jr. And it's the fourth anniversary of um, our walking onto Kings Bay Naval Base in South Georgia to protest the Trident nuclear submarine uh, system that is on hair trigger alert, can strike anywhere on the planet within 15 minutes. And so we chose today to start at Riverside Church because that's where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech that was pretty much his uh, death warrant, where he was beyond Vietnam, um, really indicting the entire culture with his triplets of militarism, racism, materialism. And so we wanted to honor that. And I understand that Bernice King um, spoke um, yesterday or the day before regarding this anniversary as well and there are voices there are voices being raised and 
we had a wonderful historic um, lesson coming down here to the Isaiah Wall. Tell tell me about this. Uh, this is a, um, a tour through peace uh, and, and 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 spiritualism that you took that Anthony Donovan put together. I, yes. I understand. You started at Riverside Church. Where did you go after that? We Riverside Church is where Martin Luther King gave his his last speech, last speech uh, yeah. the, a year to the day of when he was killed. Right. And then we stopped at Megan Rice's apartment where she grew up, and uh, her story is very fascinating. A 84-year-old nun who participated in a plowshares action, and I think she had an uncle who, um, or an uncle or a neighbor who was part of the Manhattan Project, and you know she grew up in the the heart of empire, um, very unaware. I think it was her uncle who walked through Nagasaki right after the bombing. He was in the military. And so we wanted to um, honor her. She just died last year. We also stopped at um, where Eleanor Roosevelt has a statue. She did right, a lot the corner of, of the 72nd Street in Riverside. Yeah, yep. right. she did a lot of uh, nuclear abolition work um, at the UN, getting the UN started. We also stopped at a shrine of... Uh, a great Buddhist scholar who was in uh, Japan in the 10th century, I believe, and his statue survived the bombing of Hiroshima, and that statue was brought here, I think, in the mid-1950s, and it really should be front and center of our culture um, as a reminder of what our history um, consists of. And where else did we stop? I know you stopped at Bryant Park to go to the bathroom. Right. We went to the bathroom. Right. That's an important um, stuff. We also uh, went to Times Square, the recruiting center, and um, quoted some of the um, lines of King's uh, speech. Get any and reaction there from the crowds no, the that public, are always in Times yeah, Square? Yeah, the public's interesting. I mean, they, they look, they see they know but they just keep moving on yeah. um, I think it's good I feel good to be out here and to have this presence and to remind the public of certain things and maybe it feels like a complete um, lack of registration on any levels that matter that will make changes but we're here Yeah. as you say you're a person of faith and you do it because the best answer I've gotten is, is you do it because this is what you have to do. Yeah. It's what I'm called to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Martha Hennessy. It's so great to see you. Thank you, and thanks for the chocolate. Oh, it's not me. Nydia. Nydia brought Nydia. the chocolate, right. Yes. Um, yep. And that's, that's for everybody, so don't, don't, hoard, we, don't hoard that mud, hoard that mud 72%. we got to go over there right now and share it before everybody disperses. There you go. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much for talking. Okay, Bye -bye. thanks. Keep up the good work. We'll try. You too. Claire Grady and Mark Colville then came over to my perch on the peace statue, both recently released from federal prison for entering the Kings Bay Naval Base four years prior. Mark Colville is a social justice activist and founder of the Amistad Catholic Worker Community in New Haven, Connecticut. He raised six children with his wife, Luz. In 2019, Mark and his wife were given the New Haven Register Persons of the Year Award. Claire Grady came to activism honestly. Her father was a member of the Camden 28 protesting the Vietnam War. In 1983, Claire and six friends disarmed a B-52 bomber carrying first-strike cruise missiles. And in 2003, Claire and three others poured their blood at a military recruiting center in Lansing, New York. The 2006 documentary film, The Trial of the St. Patrick's Four, tells that story. Thank you uh, Mark and Claire. Claire, I've never met. Mark, we met once. Yes. Uh, right before you went in hmm. to the Brooklyn prison there. That's right. Claire, why don't you um, tell us about the day? What, 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 what was today? So today, um, April 4th, 2022, uh, there was an idea that I thought was a great idea to walk from Riverside Church to the UN. Right. Remembering both the Riverside the speech that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King gave at Riverside on April 4th, 
1967 mm -hmm. was the Beyond Vietnam Breaking the Silence speech. And in that speech, he identifies the triplets, the giant triplets, he calls them, of racism, militarism, and extreme materialism. And that, that speech, as most of us know, was a pivotal one where he knew that he was going to lose a lot of support by taking that extra step and denouncing the war in Vietnam by, not surprisingly, the New York Times, but also many churches, um, denounced his decision to take that position, saying that your business is just civil rights, right? You've gone out of your, your league now. So I actually feel it's a really important thing to keep those triplets together at all times because they work together all the time. The problem is that it's complex. When you put those three things together, like you said, your role, Mr. King, is daba daba. You get out of that role, we don't know who you are. Because we can't think in that kind of complex way about what it what he was trying to say, you know? Well, I suppose you could see it as complex, but it seems kind of simple. I think that the reason why people stepped away from him and denounced him was because they were so embedded and invested in that war and the consciousness ideology that leads to war all the falsehoods that that were part of that war that are part of every war um, so he was getting deeper at the taproot of the violence of the system that the deeper you go the more you see those three things racism militarism and extreme materialism they they, they're inextricable. And unless you keep them together, you're kind of staying up on the surface a little bit. And once you start getting deeper, you get so radical yeah. that even if you, even before you do anything, even if you just utter the words about those triplets and how they function in the society, in our world, that's dangerous. And we know that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated a year to the day from when he gave that speech. Yeah. Some would say that was the reason why he was assassinated. Yes. Mark, what, what was this day about for you? Well, um, commemorating uh, his assassination 54 years ago um, uh, with an eye toward all the work that uh, remains to be done to really, um, you know, I mean, I, I think that Ultimately, it became clear that Martin Luther King Jr.'s goal was to um, was to make these uh, connections between the triplets as a way of of, uh, of abolishing war uh, uh, once and for all. Um, and uh, so the you know the other the other end of our walk then becomes uh, become became very important. You know the Isaiah Wall, uh, which is the you know the wall on which is is printed this ancient um, uh, ancient prophecy, um, which which humanity has now come to a point where, if we don't call that into reality um, now, it's it's the only path forward for humanity. I mean, I think Let, let's reference the wall. Yeah. It's it's so right here. We're, a, we're right across the street from the UN. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the wall says. Well, the wall has a the quote from. Uh, uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 4, verse 2. And it is, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift the sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay, how long did, we, did Isaiah say that? Let's see, that would have been probably 500, 500 years, years before Christ. Before, before Christ. the birth of Christ. Right, yeah. right. Um, Look where we are today. Yes, and uh, I mean, have we have we progressed from that, from what says well, on the wall? I think actually the, I think we have in the sense that we have we have uh, at least come to touch the nerve of truth, where uh, in terms of where war is rooted, you know, um, we particularly wanted in through the uh, Kings Bay Plowshares action, which today is also the fourth anniversary of that. Uh, through that action, um, we wanted to uh, to make clear uh, 
the uh, connection between racism and war. In, in order to fight wars, people have to be dehumanized. Um, in, you know, really, I mean, in, in order to kill another, uh, you, you, have to be, you have to dehumanize the other. And racism is essential to war. Um, just as lying is essential, essential to killing. Um, and that, that's also uh, ancient uh, scripture. Um, that lying and killing are intimately connected. And so once we start to name the lies, we, uh, we begin to see a path forward uh, as, a, as a human community uh, towards peace. A major reason you're here is because you're, you're honoring the fourth anniversary of going to jail for, for an action mm -hmm. that was taken in, in, uh, in uh, Georgia, uh, the King Kingsblade Naval Base. Um, that's the militarism part of the triumvirate you're you're, yeah. you're talking about. Um, how 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 far are we away from moving out of nuclear armament in this country? To me, one of the one of the fascinating things about history and about and about being human is um, I don't know how change happens, um, and most of the major changes that have happened in human civilization they they are both they're a long time coming and yet they happen suddenly okay by the time they actually these changes actually happen there is so much there's so much unseen that has gone on so much unseen change uh, below the surface well what are you seeing you you your eye well, is on this yeah you've devoted your life to this you've gone to jail for this mm -hmm. What are you seeing? Where is the change happening, and when is this snap going to happen so my grandchildren will be okay? <laughs> well, part of the, I, I think one of, one of the gifts that a plowshares, the plowshares movement and plowshares actions, uh, uh, bring to the world, is this, um, this sense of of prophetic of the prophetic, and by the prophetic I mean, um, to be a, to be to do prophecy. Is, is not to predict the future. It's not to um, uh, have some kind of a subliminal message that, that comes only to you. To, be, to do prophecy is to name reality. It's to name the present. Okay? And when well, what if no it, one's listening to you? Well, but do you, the naming. I'm sorry about being, I'm being, I'm being devil's advocate. No, but it's not for me to judge who is listening um, or if they're listening. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, just as, as we, uh, just going through childhood, I understand that, um, that I heard things um, or saw things at one point that didn't have an effect on me. You didn't know what they meant. Right. But down the road, it, uh, some of these things became transformative. That's what a, you know, the symbolic action that we took, it was an act of symbolic nuclear disarmament. Uh, in the belly of the beast, in the, you know, where these weapons are located, um, and so we our 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 attempt was to undertake a symbolic action that would name the present reality and point a uh, point a way toward a new reality. Yeah. And so I think we accomplish when you do that, you don't do it with a uh, with a, a method of management by objectives or um, you don't do that with an eye toward publicity or change, even changing minds. What, what we're trying to do is point to the reality um, to try to help, the, help all of us understand what's going on um, as a way of pointing uh, a way towards the future. Um, that's what prophetic action is, and that's what we were trying to do. So I think... Um, it's important actually the two questions I heard one was have we progressed and then how close are we to the thing yeah. and it always it almost reminds me of when we're a kid and we're like are we there yet are we there yet you know <laughs> like we're in the car and like and we just can't even bear to like no, I just get there be on the ride right yeah. so it I think as I get older I see the the value the essential requirement to be in the now and what I heard from Mark about what prophecy is or what, what the prophetic work is, is being honest about the now, right? Nobody has control over the future, nobody. 
but we know that you're called, your life, your whole being right now, to be honest, is to know that you're interconnected with all creation and that you're here to love one another. That's uh, what I think yeah. we know. And if you move from that place, then your actions have some integrity with that reality. So you will not be consenting to the killing of other people's children. You will not be consenting to the stealing of trillions of dollars while you arm the weapons mas masters of war to the teeth. You will not be consenting even to the use of the word enemy when you talk about other people's children and life and land that you want to steal. And so I want to go back to these triplets because it's not just like war is just a symptom of this thing of like this greed that drives you to want. I mean, we look at historically, you want other people's land and resources for your greed and you always have to get it by force and you always have to demonize somebody with racism. Always. That's what drives this machine that's been going for a long time. As soon as you unlock that thing, you have choices of where you're going to consent to things and not. So we're part of this tradition of nonviolent symbolic action and it doesn't square up if you look at it from a lens of are we there yet? Did we get there? Did we just have like a Are million people? Did we have a, a million people change their mind right away? That's not the lens that we're working with. So it just means a different lens, but it doesn't mean that we all don't swim in that soup, right? Because we're all, I mean, I remember being here in 1982 with the UN special session on disarmament and a million people, I'm a New Yorker, a million people came out into the streets. It was electric that day. I can think of other times when a million people came out in the streets in New York City to say no to killing, no to nuclear weapons. And they continued to do it. But I also went to Standing Rock where thousands, several tens of thousands people went there to join the indigenous people to say no to that, that black snake, the, the, the pipeline. And even though they put, they forced that pipeline through with militarized force and all the other force, big money and white supremacy, that effort was not lost. When people come together to do what's right and truthful and honest, that is not a lost situation. You, you, you've all been, I'm going to put it this way, fighting this fight, living this life, loving this love for, for, for a long time. It, do you ever get frustrated? I mean, I, I keep saying, when, when, when are we going to get there? So you know what, what uh, the word I'm, I'm feeling these days, it's not frustration. I'm feeling very sad and disheartened because when war makers and weapons hucksters do their work and lie and steal and kill, I don't expect a whole lot more from the hucksters. But what's really sad and disheartening for me right now is how many of my friends, my beloved friends, are falling for the lies. They're sliding right into the, to the false choice of we gotta kill those Russians. Like, what? You're just gonna spend 30 trillion more dollars or 30 billion more dollars on weapons and that's supposed to save humanity? And you are crying about Ukrainians, which we absolutely must, while you have absolutely ignored the Yemeni people at our hands and the Afghani people and the Syrian people and the African people. I'm not saying, like, this, you have to keep them all together. Like, not, uh, not just when someone else does it, but when you're doing it. This seems like a Gordian knot. A what? A Gordian knot. What's it's a, that? Kn a knot that is so complex, so tied up from so many different angles. I mean, you you, you mentioned Yemen, Ukraine, and and and, and the, it, it the just goes on thread, and on and no, on. No, the con common thread with that is that's all killing on in my name, killing with my money. So in my spiritual practice, if I spend all my time looking at you and I don't do me, 
that's bankrupt spirituality. That's all I have to say about that. That's not complex. That's actually very, very simple. So before, the biblical passage from Luke is, the biblical passage in chapter 6 is, before you take that speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. You hypocrite. Oh Amen. Hypocrite. <laughs> hypocrite. Because once you take that log, you will out of your own eye. You will see better to take the help, help to take the speck. All right, out we're, of we're, we're, we're sitting on this peace monument here, <laughs> this metal thing here, this hard thing here. And I work on that. I'll make a, you know, a, a, I work on getting the, the moat out of my eye. But I don't know how to get my brother to get the moat out of his eye. What, I can only work on myself. So, it's frustrating. So one thing that Mark and I are part of is this collective communal practice and coming together. So we help each other with it. And we're meeting you and you guys have met each other. We're, I think Phil Bergen said years ago, the only thing we owe, again, owe each other is encouragement. Hmm. And the word courage is in there, which is root <laughs> is in your heart. So to act with love and truth, that encourages each of us to keep going with that to keep and you uh, probably we could spend hours sitting here yep, yep. testifying to how much that's changed our lives when other people do it and how much other people are changed when we do it so that don't ever minimize what you're doing with that radio what you're doing with your smile what you're doing what with i'm trying your, to do with my students with your heart what with my students with I, your students a, yeah. there you go yeah Mark, last word what, uh, before we leave. I mean, uh, there's no last words here. There's, <laughs> there's many, many words. Well, I, I, I draw a lot of hope from, uh, from using my body as I did today with other people. You You're know, tired? That, uh, I am tired. My, um, my arthritis in my knees is, uh, is R- flaring R- up. Righteous arthritis. <laughs> yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Hope is a hands-on thing, you know. It's not it's not something that you wait around for, you know. Hope is something that has to be, you know, similar to, you know, whenever I've uh, been a teacher, I've always said that, you know, and I've always told my own children that an education is never given. It, it's only taken, you know. And, and hope is taken. It, it is claimed in the world. And we do that, as, as, uh, as Claire was saying, I mean, we... Uh, we help each other. We bring each other uh, to the well to drink. You know, um, that's that's how it works. You know, community, hospitality, and resistance is uh, is what we center our lives around. And it's uh, you know, it's the it's the boat, the only boat that uh, that floats at this point um, in in this uh, in this violent world. So um, yeah. I'm just happy to be uh, on that boat with y'all today. Thank you very much, Claire Grady and Mark Coble, for, for for sitting down and talking with me. It's um, I feel honored, honored and, and buoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Keep Thank going. You. Same here. Same here. Okay. Yeah. Thank you all. Amongst those gathered at the Isaiah Wall, across the street from the United Nations was Mary Yelenik. The organizer of the day's walk, Anthony Donovan, introduced me to this soft-spoken woman who is the main representative at the United Nations for Pax Christi International. She works with other peace and justice groups at the UN and is a member of the NGO Working Group on the Security Council. Hi, here, here's your mic. Okay. We're, we're hot. If you can hold it like, like that. Okay. Um, I, I, we're just meeting for the first time. Uh, we're here at the Isaiah Wall, um, and you just were on the long walk from uh, Riverside Church, yes. celebrating the fourth anniversary, or not celebrating, but honoring the fourth anniversary of the Kings Bay Plowshare action. Yes. Um, so t- tell me your name and uh, who you represent. My name is Mary Yelenik. That's Y-E-L-E-N-I-C-K. And I work with Pax Christi International, as the main representative at the United Nations. Great. Pax Christi uh, International works on issues of nuclear nonproliferation, nonviolence, uh, extractive industries, and Israel-Palestine issues, primarily. That's, that's a pretty, pretty big uh, portfolio there. Nonviolence is at the root of it all. 
Yeah, yeah. How how long have did have you been with them for a while? And what was your earlier experience? I'm, in this? I'm an attorney by training. I was a, a partner at a midtown law firm for many years. Um, when I retired at the age of 62, about six years ago, I started working full time for Pax Christi at the United Nations. Uh, wh why are you with this group today? Uh, I'm a big uh, supporter of the Kings Bay Plowshares. I was present at their trial. Uh, members of the Kings Bay Plowshares. Oh, you Bay were down Plowshares. there in Georgia? I was down there in Georgia, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I admire them greatly uh, as people and as a group. I think it's something we need to see more of is public witness. It takes a lot. It, it certainly is a, a big sacrifice for the, them. The, the, these are unique people. I mean, you say you'd like to see more of it, but how many people are out there that would put their lives on the line like Very Martha and Carmen and very Mark few. And, yeah. yeah, although those of us in this community see a lot. <laughs> so yeah. Know a lot of them, but you're right. In the in the general community, there are not not that many of them. No, it takes I, I'm, I'm a not, lot of courage. I, I don't do that. I mean, to go to jail for a year and a half to do that, it's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. it's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. So you so you're here to support them. Absolutely, to support them, to say thank you, to express gratitude, and to remind them that they are special, <laughs> right. because they are. What was the what? What's one thing that happened today on your walk down here that you remember that you would share? Well, I think I think something that some people have been saying in the circle was that there was a great receptivity among the crowds in New York. Tell me about that. Sometimes when you walk by with a sign saying, you know, peace, uh, nonviolence, people will say, "Oh, but we need we need weapons. We need to." And this is a very difficult time now with Ukraine because I think the the narrative is split. I think some people say, well, if Ukraine had not given up its nuclear weapons, it wouldn't be in this predicament. That, I, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because that argument has been made, and it's been made by, we've interviewed Ukrainians for this pro program, and uh, has said, well, if we hadn't given up our nuclear arms, Russia would never have attacked us. There's some truth to that, isn't there? Uh, well, you can't use nu the thing is you can't use nuclear weapons. That's the problem. It's a very expensive investment of time. And it creates the uncertainty. I think most. I think the flip side of that is that now most Americans are feeling nuclear fear for the first time. They Absolutely. really, they really recognize that it's 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 a possibility. And what would that mean? And it's the presence of nuclear weapons that creates that feeling that everyone's feeling. So instead of saying they should have weapons, no, no one should have weapons, because this submits everyone in the world to the fear of annihilation. Do you think we're going to be moving in that direction? I mean, as we as we move, you know, God willing, past this war, are we going to start looking at that again? Because I think we lost that focus. We need to get rid of nuclear weapons. We've lost we've lost the focus temporarily, but again, I think the the, the counter argument is much stronger because you tap into people's feelings. Would you feel safer if there were nuclear weapons in X country? Would you feel safer if the whole world were armed with these nuclear weapons, knowing that there could be a mistake, there could be theft? There could be something inadvertent, a miscalculation. An that accident. Suddenly, an accident, that suddenly, which has happened before. We've just been lucky that nothing has happened. Um, and we're all subject to that. And do you want one person making those decisions? And I think one thing you can say is everyone, the media here has been painting Putin as an idiot or as a maniac. I don't think he's any more maniacal than our, than our president's here in terms of the calculation. He's got a good reason to be fearful. But if you have a fearful person coupled with nuclear, wep nuclear weapons, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so people are now recognizing that it just takes one person between them and nuclear weapons to make them feel afraid. I just wonder, um, and, and whether your group is the uh, Pox Christie International is, is involved with what that next step is. We're, we're trying very hard. We have, we have people all over the world who are members of Pox Christie. We've got dozens and dozens of countries. And so we're we're talking to them on a regular basis. And we've gotten some very interesting stories about nonviolence responses. So for example, early on when some of the Russians were being, uh, were going in, in their, their tanks, apparently a lot of the young Russian soldiers were saying, I give up. That's and what we heard. Yeah, and um, apparently the Ukrainians were welcoming them. And at, at one point I, I saw an article that showed them with the Russian soldier in a phone talking to his mom and dad you know that is a nonviolent response which encourages people to view each other as human beings there's another story we heard that people were handing out fruit in Ukraine to the Russian soldiers as they came in and that again rehumanizes re everybody we've we've dehumanized everybody 
we've painted everyone as, as a caricature now. We just have to get back to the basics. Query what would have happened, and people will say this is unrealistic, but if when the Russians came into Ukraine, the Ukrainians had simply stood up and given them all a flower and said, we're not going to fight back, you know, come through. We wouldn't have these massacres. We wouldn't have this burning vengeance now in the minds of so many people. But you wouldn't have a free Ukraine either. We would have had a negotiation. And that's what we're going to end up having anyway as a negotiation. Every war ends with, a, with some kind of a deal. You've got to sit down. If the Russians had come in and they say, okay, now you'll meet with us. Putin's been asking for this for five years. You need a reason to sit down. But in the meantime, he's, all these people are being killed. Would those people have been killed? I mean, this happened in World War II. Some of the countries just didn't resist. Now, some people say that they should have resisted, but I don't know. <laughs> of course, this is not a conventional view. It's my own view. Um, it's really asking what are the possibilities for peace in a situation. It's something that not very many people have tried. But knowing human nature, I think we do need to try these kinds of things. It certainly would have saved a lot of a lot of carnage, and we know that the carnage happened because the weapons were there. You realize the, this, these ideas would blow a lot of people's mind, and they go like, "Mary, come on." Well, what we see what happening though is that World War One begat World War Two. World War Two begat this enmity between the United States and Russia, which also begat NATO, which has triggered this anger and fear and frustration and rage against Ukraine, misdirected by Putin. So war leads to war. The people are never going to forget these losses. Ukrainians, well, I've, I've got a Russian friend who said, you know, we are one people and yet people will hate us forever now. My Ukrainian friends will hate me forever. It's probably true. Yep. And it's why, because of the violence. Because of the violence. If yep. people respond with violence, someone else feels very much entitled to and to also engage in violence. If you don't respond with violence, it changes it changes the the way people act. I remember for many years we we had a group called Grandmothers Against the War on Fifth Avenue. And this is, this is not we weren't using tanks. But we were standing there right after the invasion of Iraq and the first few years was very difficult. Every Wednesday between 4 and 6 we were on Fifth Avenue. When we would have visitors walk by, if they were young American men, for the most part, white men, they would stand and say, what the hell are you doing here? Don't you remember what happened? And they would point to the area in the sky where there used to be a World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. They said, don't you remember what happened? And then we would say, that wasn't Iraq. That was not Iraq. But then most of them would, would be very angry. They wouldn't believe what we would say. So they would just you know, threaten us, and a couple would spit at us. Wow. But one thing we learned two of us then thought, okay, these people are clearly very angry, very upset. So we would say, why don't you just come and talk to me for a minute? We would walk to the end of the end of the of the row and just listen to them. Listen to them vent, you know, listen to their anger. Let them get it out. We wouldn't try to respond. We wouldn't try to argue. And without exception, this this was really moving for me and it changed my life. Without exception, at the end of those conversations, we would shake. We would say, you know, really good to meet you. We knew each other's names at that point, and we walked away as not friends, but respecting each other. I think when those people first saw me, they probably would have shot me if they'd had a gun. By the time we ended, we both wished each other well, and, and we had sort of a fondness for each other. And all you did, you said, I'll listen. I'll listen. I won't argue with you. Just tell me what you feel. Tell me why you feel the way you feel. People need to be heard. People need to be not ignored. They don't need to be bulldozed. Yep. So there is there is a new way. We know that violence doesn't work. That is, violence, that, is that the Pox way? That's the Pox Christie way, that nonviolence is more powerful. And there's a great book by Maria Stefan and Erica Chenoweth talking about nonviolence and how nonviolence is more than twice as likely to be effective than is violence. Twice as likely. It's been demonstrated in, in, in conflicts around the world. So we know it works, but people get impatient. And we've got all these guns, for God's sake. We've got all these planes. Why don't we use them? I mean, it's, it's like... Yeah, if you got a weapon, 
I teach film, and if the weapon is brought up in film, it has to be used. Yes, yes. That, that's the nature of weapons. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a, it's a self-executing, it's a, it's a circle. <laughs> yeah. We've got to break that cycle. We got to, we got to, what, what is it? I'm reading from the wall. We have to uh, break our swords, beat the beat swords. Beat our swords into plowshares. Into plowshares, right. Yeah. It's right. up for no war, no a, war. A sword will do what it does. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And we know with Putin, I mean, again, apparently his name is pronounced Putin. And Putin, it sounds so It sounds effeminate. Russian. <laughs> right, right, right. But our country doesn't even pronounce anybody's name right. You know, right. We, don't, we don't care. We're so arrogant sometimes. Putin. Okay. But he's been asking for this for a long time. He's expressed very, very great angst about NATO coming close to his border. I mean, we did the same thing when the Russians were in Cuba, which is 90 miles away. Imagine yeah, well, if they I, were in the Canadian border. I remember that. Border. I was a kid at the time yeah. in Miami. Okay. That, that yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And we know, so we know, we know he's got a basis for fear. When someone is fear and trapped, what do they do? They lash out with horrible anger. And that's never going to be forgotten. You're going to have wars forever between these two people now. They're going to hate each other. It, she, my friend, is right in Russia. That's not the way. We know it doesn't work. Mary Yelenik, thank you very much for joining us here on this conversation at the peace statue in front of the UN. Thank you. At the end of this long walk that you took today uh, with the uh, Kings Bay Plowshare people to um, honor the fourth year yes. of the action in Georgia. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thanks to all who are working for peace in our world in our time. Whenever I talk to a Catholic worker or plowshare activist, I feel sort of like the simple child at the Passover table, trying to understand why this world vibrates with so many horrors. These people have a perspective on how social life should be organized, and I celebrate their commitment and resolve and am deeply hopeful that their message of peace is widely heard. I want to also give a great big thanks to violinist Ralph Schulte for sharing his performance at the 2018 Cold Spring Concert of Stravinsky's Suite Italienne.